2: Hi there. Welcome to episode number two, More Motivation in the Workplace. My name is Susie Price, and I bring to you more than 20 years of experience in employee selection and professional development in my roles as a professional facilitator, consultant, trainer, author, leader, and human resource professional. If you want to build a Wake Up Eager workforce and keep your workforce Wake Up Eager, you're in the right place, and I'm really glad you're here. The show notes for today's episode... Can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation. And that's more motivation spelled in uh, all together and lowercase. So I'm excited about today's episode because today we're going to be covering how to increase your own personal levels of enthusiasm, resilience, and motivation, and how to do the same thing for your team members. And we're going to look at how the workplace motivators assessment can help you build the motivation on your team, reduce conflict, and I also have interviewed one of my colleagues, someone who focuses very strongly on workplace motivation. He's a speaker and consultant, travels all over the country. His name is Doug Smart. So we have a good interview there. He shares some great stories. And so I'm excited to bring that to you today. We're going to start with our first focus area and it's when we don't focus on our strengths, if you remember in Episode 1, if you uh, viewed that, it's at uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash DISC, D-I-S-C. I talked about the importance of focusing on your strengths, and I gave a list of um, research that backs up the power of focusing on strengths in the workplace. And so I want to start with a story, and it's one that I heard uh, years ago, and it has really stuck with me. So let's pretend you're, it's uh, Cambridge University and it's 1953. It's two o'clock in the morning and in student Ted Hughes' dorm room, he's sitting at his desk staring at a blank piece of paper and he's frustrated beyond belief and he's worried. He has an essay due in the morning that he's been trying to write for days and he can't get past the first sentence. He doesn't understand it. He chose his subject English because of his love for poetry and his ambition to become a great poet. But for some reason, it's getting harder and harder to write those damn essays. And tonight he's hit a brick wall. As he sits there staring desperately at his paper, he hears noise. And as he looks up, his door opens in his dorm room and he sees, he sees what? An enormous fox head. Ted's surprised as the creature pushes the door open and walks into the room. It's either a man with a fox's head or maybe it's a fox walking on its hind legs. As it gets closer, Ted sees that the fox looks like he has just stepped out of a furnace. Every inch of the fox's skin is charred and blackened by fire. Between between the cracks in his skin... Blood smolders like molten lava starting to seep out. The creature's eyes are shining with the intensity of its pain. When it reaches the desk, the fox stretches out its hand, a human hand, and lays it flat on the empty page. It looks directly into Ted's eyes and speaks. Stop this. You're destroying us. When the hand is lifted, the page is covered in an intricate print of a palm in glistening wet blood. The next morning, Ted rushed to his desk to look at the bloody palm print, only to find that it had vanished. But the impression it left was permanent. Ted went to his teacher, explained that he couldn't continue with his course, and after some discussion, he switched from English to anthropology and completed his degree. He forgot all about English essays and went back to writing poems. Four years later, when Ted's first book was published, it contained a poem called The Thought Fox, a poem that became one of the best-known poems of the 20th century. His dream of being a famous poet was realized. So I have listened to that story and thought about that story and have seen evidence of that story of my own life and other people's lives. Um, and let's kind of tie that into motivation. Over the years, especially in college and early on in my career, I made career choices that were in direct opposition to my greatest and natural strengths and motivators. Without knowing it and without some awareness, I was did just what Ted used did. I did what I... Thought I did because I thought it was expected. I thought, well, this is the path I'm supposed to take. I'm not really interested in it. My energy's not into it, uh, but this is what I've been told to do, or this is how it's supposed to be. And while I didn't get a visit from the fox, I did feel unhappy, stressed, and many of my work days when I was working against my natural strengths were not enjoyable, But like Hughes, things got better over time, and they got better because I was exposed to the research that I shared in Episode 1 around strengths, and I was exposed to the assessments that I do for other people. I learned about all this information for myself, and it eventually led to the work that I do today. And over the years, I've used the assessment knowledge that I have around motivation and strengths and the research to do help many professionals hire, motivate, and lead their teams through information on my website, my newsletters, through podcasts, through uh, strength assessment debriefs, workshops, books. And so that's what I want to share on this podcast today is how to get more motivation. So I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to think about your work and the work you do for your company. And I want you to think about every day. what you most want from your job and your company. And I want you to answer this question. So just take a minute and write down these notes. This is going to lead us to helping you understand workplace motivators. Um, So answer this question. While working at my company, I want to gain and then fill in the blank. And so for me, what I'd say is while working at priceless professional development, I want to gain knowledge, income and freedom to create and share ideas So when I answer that question, that's what comes out naturally for me. So now it's your turn. Take a few seconds. Think what first thoughts came to mind while working at my company I want to gain. Jot your notes down. If we were in a live workshop together or talking this through, I'd have other, if you were in a group, have you all share your answers uh, but for this podcast, what I want you to do is just make a note of what you answer to those questions. And as we come back after I describe the different workplace motivators, you'll, you'll probably be able to see a correlation between your answer to that question and what you think your top motivators are. So now we'll go into four key actions for getting more motivation. And they spell out the word more and today what we're going to do is talk about two of those actions. So let me just go ahead and give you the acronym. M, strengths matter. O, observe and list. R, refuel daily. Check your blind spots. And E, embrace differences. So if we, in the future, I'll go through the other two steps through this process. But basically we'll, we'll go through the first two for this podcast. Um, from research, we see that strengths matter. So the first step in the more motivation, strengths matter, is just becoming aware of how important strengths are. And in our culture today, we aren't. And way back when, when the poet was trying to figure out what his, what he was to do in college and was running into a brick wall, he also wasn't doing schoolwork that was a match to what mattered to him the most, his strengths and what came naturally to him. So that's why he was having the tension. We have similar attention, and the only way we can move towards what our natural strengths are is just to realize how important it is to know what they are and to use them every day. Three out of four adults can't list them, and we see that in um, work engagement. We don't have a lot of people who are engaged in their work because they're not using their strengths on the job. So there's lots of power in doing things that come easy and natural to you. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but in the workplace and in general, we lose sight of that. So this first step is kind of basic, but it's not so basic because a lot of us lose sight of it. We, we try to always look at what, what we're doing wrong or we can't list our strengths. So I want to give you an example, uh, a story about uh, a sales manager that I was working with. His name was Dylan and, and gonna This story is going to lead us into the second step in the more motivation, which is after strengths matter, second step is observe and list. So I had a meeting with Dylan. He's a new sales manager. And um, it was a warm spring day. We were in an office park in Alpharetta, Georgia. There was a gentle breeze. It was drifting through the open window. You know, spring in Atlanta is just awesome. And so we were in his office. We were sitting together. We were trying to review his assessment results. So we had done some assessments, and we were going to do some work together. And I say I was trying to review them with him because he was distracted. He seemed a little tense, and he was looking over my shoulder, and he was looking out of the window. I turned to see what he was looking at, what had his attention, and I could see an older woman in the parking lot, not too far from where we were sitting, frantically pointing her key fob at her car as she was trying to turn off her car alarm. And so I had already read Dylan's assessment results, and I knew that his strongest driver was what we call altruistic service. He likes to serve and help others. That's, where, that's what puts energy, gas in his tank. And so it, what, it's what fills him up. And he could not focus on what we were trying to cover because somebody was in need and he could see it. So I said, hey, Dylan, do you want to go out there and help her? And he, he seemed relieved that I even asked. His face uh, lightened up, and he said, okay, yeah, I'll be right back. So he ran out to the parking lot. Five, ten minutes later, the car alarm had stopped, and Dylan waltzes back in the room happy and energized, and he was ready to focus. And we went on to have a great discussion about his top strengths and motivators because we had a real-life example around one of the things that fills him up, and it's one of his greatest talents, and that is being of service to others. You see, your top motivators and strengths are the things you feel compelled to do. Dylan was compelled to help that person. And uh, oftentimes, what you're compelled to do just seems natural. You just think everybody must, must do this or have this. And usually that's not the case. And you do these things without thinking. So with the second step and more, is the observe and list. What I want you to begin doing is to begin observing your actions and energy and creating your own list of what your top strengths are so that you aren't one of the three or four adults who can't name and list and use their strengths. So I want you to be observing your actions and think about what are you compelled to do. And it's very empowering to know what you're good at and it's thrilling to spend your time focused there. So I'm going to give you five simple, they're very simple, but they are revealing observe endless actions you can take for more motivation. First, pay attention to the things you're compelled to, those you just can't help yourself moments. Second, review your question to the answer why you do what you do. When we started just not too long ago, I said, uh, I work for this company. What I want to gain from this company is... So review your answers to that question, and oftentimes there's hints in that question, and 98% of the time when people answer that question and then go see their assessment results, especially around the workplace motivators, you see that they match. So look at your answers and see what kind of clues that gives you. Those are things that you're compelled to do. It's what you want to gain from work. Also, you can reflect upon what did not work out for you. So the opposite of a situation could point to your strengths. I can remember early on in my career, I worked in a culture that was very regulatory and uh, structured, and there wasn't a lot of change. And through my assessment results, I am very aware that I like to create and do new ideas and take take you know, new ideas and information and use them. And so that I, that gives me some clues, even if I didn't have my assessment, uh, about what my strengths are and what gives me energy. Another thing is I would suggest a, something you can do is take 15 minutes every day to write, meditate, think, reflect. This is what I call my tune-in time. And I write it on my calendar, even TNT, tune-in time. And I use this quiet time If you do 15 minutes a day, it's 1% of your time in a day, and it can go a long way towards helping you name, claim, and use your top strengths and motivators because if you're writing, you're meditating, you're thinking, you're reflecting, and you're on the search to creating your own list of what your greatest strengths are that will come through with this quiet reflection time. I have uh, an article that I wrote that gives you 15 actions you could take during tune-in time, and I will uh, put that link in the show notes. But having that quiet time, that time to reflect and think um, and reflect on what you were compelled to do throughout the day uh, can help you build more motivation in your life by helping you observe a list and understand what your strong, tr- strongest strengths are. Another action you can take is you can review past assessments or you can complete an assessment. So if you've taken self-development assessments in the past, many people have, go find them, get them back out, and look for, you know, have an eye out when you're reading it for what are the themes that it says that are my greatest strengths and start creating your list. So, and I mentioned it here, the assessment that I use is the workplace motivators assessment and I've got a sample of that assessment in the show notes so you can see uh, what that assessment looks like and what it measures. It basically, it, it isn't something you can see or guess. You actually need an assessment to do it and it basically is uh, what you're compelled to do, your top two motivators are what give you energy and what I often refer to is they, they are what fill up your gas tank. So if you go to the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation, all one word, you'll be able to see a sample of what that looks like. And the power in the workplace motivators assessment, it's valuable because it explains why we do what we do. So it's powerful because you begin to understand that there are six motivators and you understand what your own top motivators are and you start being able to look at your team and the people around you and the people you want to manage based on strengths and you start to understand what drives and motivates them. So it'll explain why you feel energized around certain activities and stressed out about others why other some people bother you and some people are so easy to be around if you have similar motivators to others uh with with uh, it's a very easy connection if you have a lot of differences then different motivators it can be a harder connection until you have a language to understand it it could be more conflict um you can find out it'll help you understand why jobs were hard for you so i mentioned the job that was very regulatory well one of my lower motivators is the regulatory focus so uh, I had a better understanding of that. If I have known in advance, I'd have probably done a better job of selecting and um, not selecting that position because it wasn't a fit. But I didn't know then what I know now, as we all say often. Um, and you'll understand just basically why people do what they do, yourself and other people. And for me, it's it's the same thing as a disc assessment, but even deeper. You begin to feel more appreciation for the differences between yourself and others, and seeing how even though they value and are interested in something that doesn't interest you at all, it still has value and it it adds adds to the mix. So you know, once you know what your top two motivators are, what your top strengths are. Um, You've observed them, you've listed them by doing some of these activities. Uh, You can spend more time there doing those things. And as you do that, your energy and self-esteem will go stronger and stronger. So what I want to do now is go through a quick overview of what the six workplace motivators are. And um, as I list them, I want you to think about which two most sound like you. And you can think of people you know and which which sounds like people or which of those is describing someone you know, maybe your spouse or a family member. So the first motivator is the learner. And this is someone who has a passion for knowledge and some famous people who were uh, the learner, the, the name in the assessment is called High Theoretical. Albert Einstein, uh, wake-up eager professionals, journalists, I'm High Theoretical. And that Once I learned that, the drive for knowledge and knowing I'm never happier than when I've got some project where I've got to learn something. Can't pass a bookstore without walking in, taking a look, see what's in there, see if there's something else I need to learn. The second motivator is the business person. And this is someone who has a passion for business and making money. Some famous examples, Donald Trump, Alan Greenspan, you could have wake up eager investors and executives. So it's the person who always sees a business opportunity. Return on investment. Uh, the the business person is it's the in the assessment it's called the utilitarian economics. So it's very practical, uh, uncomfortable or stressed out when time, money or resources are being wasted and they want to know what's the return on investment and they're driven by that and that's how they serve the world the next motivator we call it the power player and it's a passion for leading advancing and being out front you see some politicians John F Kennedy Bill Clinton you know people who have charisma when they're in front of people Uh, you can see speakers wake up eager professional speakers entrepreneurs politicians and it's the person who says oh I'll do it I'll be out front I'll be the leader I'll, I'll um, be in charge. And so these are the folks who, when they were kids, they were probably lining everybody up and telling everybody what they were going to do and keeping everybody in order. Um, and it, they like the best of the best and like um, advancing. And you see that a lot in business and in entrepreneurial endeavors. The next motivator is this what I call the serving others helper. And it's a something we call the name and the assessment is social altruistic. And it's a passion for service, coaching and helping others. So famous examples could be Mother Teresa, Princess Diana, uh, great wake up eager coaches and counselors. So it's the person in the office that everybody goes to talk to and who loves to comfort and serve and support and mentor and, um, Mother Teresa is the best example, selfless service. Next top motivator or next motivator in the list of six is the process and order keeper. So this one is someone who has a passion for order, structure and tradition. And so you, a famous examples would be the Pope. Uh, The policemen, hall monitors, and you think, okay, what does all that have in common? The pope, policemen, hall monitors, and CFOs, they all have a system or a process that they want and need people to follow, and they enjoy keeping that process, that order, that structure. These are the folks you're going to say, that's not part of our tradition. They hold the traditions, and they're very principled. And the sixth motivator is the aesthetic, and we call that the sensitive balance, harmony, and experience seeker. So it's someone who gets energy and their gas tank is filled up. They have a passion for creativity, beauty, pleasant environments, experience. And some famous examples would be Walt Disney, Martha Stewart, wake up architects and designers. And so that is the six motivators, just so you have an understanding of what that is. And And what will happen in the assessment, what you find out for yourself and for the people on your team or when you're hiring is you can find out what actually drives someone. And their top two, how strong they are um, and where they are in relationship to the rest of the population, can give people guidance on um, what actions they need to take to get more energy and motivation. And when hiring, if someone's motivators match what the job rewards then you have a great mix because I like to do this and the job is rewarding me for doing it. And so having those descriptors, they're pretty simple descriptors, and it's a very powerful tool. And you'll find out when we talk in my interview with Doug, which is coming up next, uh, how powerful it is with the stories that he shares and just how much sense it makes once you have applied it to your own life and you see it in other people's lives. And so I love this statement, and it's we have the energy to do what we want to do, and we never have the energy to do what we don't want to do, and we always want to do our top strengths and motivators. So that just makes so much sense. So we need to know what our top motivators and strengths are. We need to understand that strengths matter, and we need to figure out what our top strengths are, and we can do that by observing and listing them and then finding ways to do more of them every day. So we've talked a little bit about the motivation. We've talked about the Workplace Motivators Assessment. Now we're going to go into the interview with Doug Smart. He's a speaker, trainer, and consultant. He's going to share why he's passionate about helping people use their strengths. He shares some great stories about people who've made changes once they became aware of their workplace motivators. And he provides some tips for leaders for creating more motivation in the workplace. So let's go to that interview now.
3: Hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm so excited to have on the phone today Doug Smart, and uh, he is a longtime colleague and friend, and he's got a wonderful background, and I'm going to let him share a little bit about his background, what he does, why he does it. Uh, Doug, welcome to the call. Thanks for being here.
0: Hey. hey, Susie. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. I'm an expert on showing people how to discover and use their personal strengths. I focus in on lifelong success, and especially leadership and teamwork. Uh, I do this through speaking at conferences, and I do executive coaching, and I advise senior management when they're hiring or promoting. Uh, It's all about showing people their personal strength. Oh, and I want to say this, because I I like throwing this out into the universe. Once I focused on this goal, stuff started to happen. I have a five-year goal to show one million people how to discover and use their personal strengths for success in business.
3: Wonderful, and I I know why you and I connected all those years ago and still connect now is we both believe in the power of strengths, and and what it makes, what a difference it makes. When did that start becoming important to you, and and how did you get to that goal of having the one million people in the next five years, learning about the
1: strength?
0: Okay, about 15 years ago, uh, a a coach in Atlanta, Judy Souter, first introduced me to the motivators, and I have to say it just blew me away. And, uh, and something else about my own personality. Uh, my number one motivator is aesthetic. So I'm motivated by beauty and form, harmony, experiences, uh, new things, new people, travel, excitement. And I was uh, in the speaking coaching business, but I was working so hard to do it like everybody else was, which means I wasn't really letting myself be myself as I did this. Mm. And then when I saw it, uh, Judy's work, and she trained me that uh, this aesthetic motivator was so important to me, uh, I gave myself over to that. And instead of trying to be like anybody else, I just focused in on being me. And my business took off. I didn't please everybody, and that's just fine. Uh, frankly, the people I wasn't getting along that well with kind of disappeared. They went by the wayside. But the ones that uh, are were similarly motivated like me they, they latched onto to it, and the ride took off.
3: So what changed? What were you doing before, and what did you start doing now as a result of knowing the aesthetic? Now, I know the broad sure. statement would be being myself, but uh, how did that change? What actions? Can you think of things that you would share or examples of things you were doing differently?
0: Sure. sure. Great question. Um, ab- about 20 years ago, I decided to be a professional speaker, speaking at conventions and conferences. Because I love the rush of that. At the time, I didn't even know why. I just, I love the experiences, the travel, the meeting people, all that. I had no idea it was coming from a, a motivator, a study motivator. But in order to build my business from nothing to something, I was trying really hard to emulate other people. If they did it, mm-hmm. I thought I had to do it. And I got into a lot of drudgery stuff. I was doing a full day and multi-day programs. I didn't want to do that at all, but I thought I had mm-hmm. to. Well... When I got hired for them for the longer programs, they weren't all that great. Uh, My heart just wasn't in it. The energy wasn't there. I was just mimicking what I thought I had to do. So instead, uh, once I realized uh, the motivation for beauty, form, harmony, meeting people, new experiences, all that, uh, I cut my programs very short. And uh, an hour is the norm, hour to 90 minutes. And uh, and I made them lively and interactive and a little theatrical and, and more fun. And, and people just had a great time. And now the programs are all about people discovering their own strengths. Even in as short as an hour, I can show a room of 300 to 3,000 people how to pinpoint their motivational strengths. It's cool stuff.
3: Yeah, it is completely awesome. So tell me, years ago you and I sat down and we were talking about the workplace motivators assessment, and prior Mm -hmm. to our getting on this call today, Doug, I uh, shared a little bit about the assessment and what it measures and that type of thing, Um, but it's one of those tools that sneaks up on people, in my view, a lot of times with the DISC assessment, people get get their uh, DISC style pretty quickly, Um, but sometimes I find the motivators, it's a little less obvious to folks. Um, What do you do in that hour and 90 minutes or 90 minutes to kind (laughs) of, what are some things you say or do that you're willing to share that could kind of help us understand how you help people get their motivators?
1: Sure.
0: Get them, use
3: them.
1: Let
0: let me say disc is wonderful, but disc is like the part of the iceberg that's above water, which is only 10%. Right. And
1: I'm
3: going to jump in real quick. Sure. And I'm going to jump in real quick. The DISC assessment was what we talked about in episode one. So if you haven't seen that, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash DISC, D-I-S-C, and um, you can kind of listen to that. Seen it, heard it is really what you'd be doing, hearing it. So as you, I talked over you a little bit. You said it's, it's sure. just uh, tip of the iceberg.
0: The, the disc, DISC is tip of the iceberg, but the part of the iceberg underwater, the 90% of the ice, is the motivator's. The motivators mm-hmm. are what drive how we think, do, act, respond, how, how we live our life, how we make our choices, and we're either satisfying the motivators or we're turning our backs on them. And I found that, let me simplify this, the more we embrace our motivators, the easier life is, the more productive we are and the happier we are. And right. the more we turn our backs to the motivators or ignore them, then life is harder, our productivity productivity goes down, and instead of happiness, stress goes up. Yep. Let me give you... You asked, what do I tell people in my programs? Uh, Let me give you an example. It's a little story I tell. Uh, I I did some volunteer coaching at an organization that was helping people find work. So I spoke at an event where everybody was out of work. I mean there were maybe a hundred people in the room and it was late at night and they've got a spaghetti dinner and, and yep. they want to know, so what am I supposed to do now? Yep. And uh, so I spoke on the motivators. Okay, fine. I mean, it's all nice stuff to hear, but these people really just wanted jobs. And yep. uh, there was a, a lady who came up to me after and she said, could you help me? And I said, tell me your story. I'd be happy to work with you, but what's your story? She said that she had in her forties, She didn't say she was in her 40s. I could see that. But she said all her life, she had been in sales, always sales. However, she could never hold a job. Uh, Her resume was full of lots of little sales jobs that lasted for one year to three years tops. And I said, okay, let me help you, but I want you to take this motivators test. So over the days following, she went online, took the test, and it turned out she had Two high motivators that were not only high, but they were extremely high. She was in the top 3% of, of anybody uh, in how passionately she was about these motivators. One was utilitarian, which is the marker for sales. Utilitarian is a mot- motivation for money. And the other one was traditional. And traditional is a motivation for living life the right way. I'm putting little air quotes around right way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe
3: principled is the other term. Yeah.
0: Principled. Yep. Yes. Well, I asked her, how does her, her high traditional, her right way of living, her principled living, how does that express itself? And she told me her religion was very important to her and it happened to be Catholic. And all that's just fine. And, uh, we're talking and, um, and I, question popped in my head about why she had jobs that lasted only one to three years. And I asked her, how do you get along with your coworkers? Then I shut up and there was a moment of silence. And she said, oh, I just fine. I like people just fine. We get along fine. I knew that wasn't the whole answer. So I didn't say anything. And uh, then she added, but I won't let them bring me down to their level. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean? She said, I won't, I, I won't do things against my faith just because other people do that or want to be friendly. But what she was saying was she didn't have the same values as her co-workers. She saw herself at an elevated level. So knowing how intensely important her religious side was, I asked her, have you ever thought of working for the diocese?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: she instantly snapped back with, it doesn't pay. Well, that's her high utilitarian motivator answering the question. There's not enough money working for the diocese. And then her high traditional answered the question, too, by saying, and besides, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, we got a little esteem issue going here. So uh, she still needed a job, and uh, she had sales background. She knew how to sell, but how to tie her, her, sale, her utilitarian motivator with her traditional motivator. It popped in my head, and I asked her, have you ever thought about selling religious articles to churches? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, stained glass and chalices and vestments and carpeting and pews and those laminated arches, somebody's got to sell that. Have you ever thought of selling religious articles to churches? She said that it never occurred to her before and and that the thought of it was a revelation. Mm. Well, she went out. And instead of just answering ads for sales jobs, she contacted, did a little research and contacted organizations that sold religious articles to churches. She got her interviews. She took one of the jobs. And when I followed up with her, just four months later, she said it was was heaven. She said she'd never been happier in her life. Now think about it. Her motivators are making money and living true to her faith, her, her principles. And now she's working with clients all day long to whom those same principles are just as important. It was a Isn't win for everybody. Awesome.
3: Yeah. 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 I bet she stay is staying there, or at least in that realm, um, not yeah. changing so much. It's, yep.
0: No, she found her home.
3: Yeah. It's, it's
0: where she fits. It's who she is, and she can excel at it because there are no limits here.
3: That's what's so exciting about the motivators, just uh, our particular assessment that we use, the workplace motivators, is because once you know them, it seems so obvious that that was something she needed to do. But when people don't have a way to put language to it, it's stuff you intuitively know, but you get pulled away from it based on people around you or influences or a lack of awareness. And here in this case, that was a perfect example. You know, when she's turned to it, um, not turning her back on her motivators, to use your term, um, yeah. things work out. It's so they powerful. Just do. Uh,
0: they Here's something else I have found, both in speaking and in coaching. We all have personal strengths. We just all do. We're born yeah. with them. Where do they come from? Do we learn them? Are they genetic? It's probably a combination. But we all have strengths. However, I do believe most people cannot identify their strengths. If they had to take a piece of paper and write down, here are six things I'm strong at, I don't think they could do it.
3: They can't. And Um, you know what Gallup says? Three out of four adults cannot name their strengths and are not using them on the job. Three out of four. So that sounds about right, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's very sad. The
0: the statistics are that more than half the workforce in America, (laughs) we're in the land of the free. You you can work anywhere. You can get a job. But more than half hate their jobs. Wow. Yeah they got into situations that give them a check, but it doesn't meet their motivational needs. There's no way people can excel if they're not meeting their motivational needs.
3: Right. Oh, I love that quote. There's no way people can excel if they're not meeting their motivational needs. Yes. That's excellent. And that's exactly right. Why do you think that people... We've all done it. I've done it before in my life, and yeah. I kind of know why I did. But why do people turn their back on their motivators? What do you see? Why, do, why are we so unaware? Why, why are three out of our four adults not able to <laughs> share their strengths? What are I, some of the causes, that, you think?
0: That's a wonderful question. And I, I'm in front of so many people. I see things. Here's yep. how I answer that. Why do people put themselves in situations where they wind up turning their backs on their motivators? One is they're pursuing money. Another is, mm-hmm. in America, we have this belief, you can be anybody you want to be, just work hard enough. I don't mm-hmm. believe that anymore. You work as hard as you want. It doesn't mean you're going to excel. It doesn't mean you'll be happy because you could be in the wrong channel, in the wrong career. Uh, also, people uh, try to live up to other people's expectations. Let me give you another quick example. I uh, taught a college course for a while. And it was all about the motivators. And uh, one of the students, she was also in her 40s, she told me her story. When she was in high school, it was very fun for her to design clothing. She designed her own clothes, and her friends liked it, and the friends were buying some clothes from her. It was cool. Uh, Two girls went to the prom wearing her design. It was a lot of fun. And she was all excited about going to college, and she was going to study fashion. At that same time, her father lost his job. And the family decided that one way to cut expenses was to live closer to relatives out of state. Fine. Now, here she was. She had just graduated from high school. And uh, she's told she's not going to college. At least daddy's not paying for it. And she thought, what am I going to do? They invited her to go to Florida with them. She could live at home. And she said, no, it's time for me to be independent. So she pulled out a newspaper, looked at the classifieds, and she answered an ad for a car dealership that was looking for somebody to work in the back office handling paperwork. She got the job. 25 years later, she's still in the oh. car dealership.
3: Yep, that happens so often, it. yep.
0: And hates it. yes. What happened was it turned out to be the only place she had training for making money, and she was scared to death to leave it for something else. Yep. So I asked her, all right, you're a grown woman now. What do you do for fun? But how do you beat the stress of a job you don't like? She says, I design clothes. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the, what you said a moment ago. It's so obvious to us because we know these things, yep. but people don't see it. Mm-hmm. So why don't you design clothes on the side and, uh, and learn? You'll have some successes. You'll have some failures. You'll make some money. You'll lose some money. But at least... You'll move in a direction of something that gets you excited, gets your juices flowing. Uh, You'll enjoy it. It won't be so stifling. And that's what she's doing.
3: And she's probably a lot less stressed.
0: Well, this all happened 10 years ago. She's still working in a car dealership. She doesn't want to give it up. But she's designing clothes again, and she, she doesn't own a boutique because her mind, she doesn't want to run a business, but she wants to be able to design clothes, so she's out there designing clothes, and she will sell them on the internet, and she has friends who buy her clothes, so it's made life a lot more pleasant for
3: her. Right, right, and it's so funny. I was thinking about, so my mother is very high-aesthetic, and Mm -hmm. I am very low-aesthetic, and so my, I had the opposite influence. So when I went to college, uh, my mom had always put me in all these theater programs and stuff, and I generally kind of didn't like it. I just did it because she wanted me to. So I majored in theater at first in college, and I didn't like it at all. I mean, I didn't dislike it because I could learn. I'm very high, What they in the motivators speak, it's high theoretical, which is learning and knowledge. So I would enjoy the learning part. And so it's just kind of funny how that influences you. You look at whoever's around you, wherever they kind of... Uh, focus you are in, in that story that you shared. It was life circumstance. She's got to survive. And for me, and I yeah. see it in a lot of other people, they get influenced to what's around them. And uh, I couldn't figure out. I was like, okay, for heaven's sakes, I'm in a theater program. How could I not be enjoying this? And why am I not very good at it? You know. So,
1: <laughs>
3: eventually, I found my way over to journalism, which, in the journalism field, what do you find? A lot of people who are high theoretical, which is what my motivator is. So it's just so funny, You know, after the fact, yeah. how obviously it's obvious it is and how circumstances influence us, our, our people around us influence us, and we sometimes just have to go with that or we go with it without knowing. Um, so that's great that she's back doing her fashion. So people turn their back on their motivators for various reasons. Um Tell me a little bit about maybe some uh, practical tips you have around getting people to better understand their strengths and their motivators and use their strengths and their motivators individually uh, first, and then let's talk about on a team, how does a leader use it? But Let's talk about ourselves first. What are some tips you have?
0: Okay. Uh, Everybody needs to know what their motivators are, and now that the science of these assessment tools can show you Cleanly, plainly, in black and white, what it is that it gets your juices flowing, gets your passions going, where your mind opens up and wraps around concepts. Uh, everybody should have should know what their motivators are. So everybody should have a test for that. So what's the first thing? I recommend they call you and let for
1: you, you test them. For the <laughs> Both well, of thank us. Thank
0: you. <laughs> Either one of us. But uh, but that's it. Uh, And if somebody's not going to make the very small investment to get the motivators tested, then they should at least sit down and take stock of themselves. And it's really, really straightforward. What do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't don't be afraid about, well, I can't. I don't have the training. People won't like it. Won't let me. I have bills, blah, 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 blah. Put all that out the window. Instead, what do you enjoy doing? doing? What gets you excited? Is it learning things? Is it investigation and discovery, like you said, about journalism and your high theoretical motivation? Uh, is is it about money? Is it about taking charge and running things? Is it about helping other human beings live a better life? What is it that gets you going? Do an assessment of yourself. And here's something else. Go back to your dreams. Uh, if you still have your dreams as an adult, fabulous. If you don't, go back to when you were a kid. What did you dream about? What was the world going to look like? What was your place in it? Because those dreams are tied to your motivators. They didn't come from nowhere. They really did not come from movies or TV. They came from a deep place inside of you. Go back and listen to that voice. Later on, you'll figure out how you can get from A, that's today, to B, where you'd like to be in your dream. But go back to your dreams. And then the third thing you can do is set goals about doing things work-wise that make you happy. What would you like to be doing? And you might be a gazillion miles away from it today. But here's a recommendation I give all the time. Do something every single day, seven days a week, big things and micro, tiny things, but do something that gets you a little bit closer to your dream Every day.
1: Mm.
0: Why every day? What are you going to do? Take a day off from your own dreams? Right. Get yourself closer to where you want to be. Now, all those things speak to your motivators. Now, you asked how can a leader use this and what if you have a team? Right. If If I'm speaking at a convention that's big or a conference that's little, I do something that people find a lot of fun. We talk about the motivators. We, I tell stories, people get a concept of where they fit on in on their own motivators, and I ask them to take a look at what their number one and number two motivators are. And then I have a big chart in front of the room and I say, Everybody stand up. Come up here. I'm going to give each person two red dots. They're just red paper seals with adhesive on the back. I'm gonna give you two red dots put your two red dots on this chart next to your number one and number two motivators. So that's uh, a lot of noise and confusion and fun. And, right. and, <laughs> and, and It's amazing. And even if there's lots and lots of people, they all come up. And then when they're done, they're back in their places and they're looking at what we as a room created. And it, it happens all the time there will be some motivators that got lots and lots and lots of dots. There'll be some that got very few. So the question that's easy to ask the room is, if we were a team, if all of us were together working on a project or a service or making something happen, what would we look like? What would we get excited about? Where would our passion as a team be? And then it becomes very obvious, just like you and I were talking a moment ago. Once you know these things, it's so obvious, you go, duh, why didn't we think of this before? But you can see where the team's headed. Is the team focused as a group on theoretical love of learning? Are they focused on service, helping other people? Are they focused on making money at any cost? Uh, Are they focused on taking responsibility for being at the top in their industry? Or do they want to just be another another organization that shows up. You can see it. It's right there. So you ask, how can leaders use this? Two ways. One is the leader needs to know what their team as a whole is inclined to head for, what motivates the team. And then second, the leader has to know what motivates each player on the team. And once the leader has that information, that's powerful stuff. That's when you can steer the ship.
3: Yeah, and and the focus is when they're actually on the team. Okay, so you might have some people whose motivators don't really match their job, but that yeah. was before... The leader might have known to look for that when interviewing, which you and I both teach that. Um, yeah. But if somebody's not a fit in the job, it can give the leader aha's in regard to oh, okay, so that's why the maybe the motivation goes up and down. But I argue, and what do you think? That you know there are things that the leader can do to help the person do more of that on the job. Yeah. Even if it's not yeah. a that exact, exact fit uh, for if, the job. No, if
0: it if it's not an exact fit, the leader should understand that it's not an exact fit. But if that right. person has to keep doing that job, then the leader can see what, what payoff they would get from extra uh, training for the person, extra attention, hand-holding assignments. Uh, maybe they can provide assistance and, and remove some things around the edges uh, that don't fit yep. the individual. Uh, there are things leaders can do so that the person can prosper or at least perform better. In that
3: job. Yep. And it's a two-way street, so the person can know. Um, I was actually working with somebody recently where she was uh, extreme high aesthetic and mm-hmm. extreme social altruistic, and her job somewhat called for that, but not specifically. So aesthetic is what Doug was talking about earlier about the beauty and harmony and creative experiences, and then the social altruistic is service, serving others. So you know she has her role for herself is how can I get more of that in my life inside of work and outside of work so my tank is full, and then the leader's job is to say, "Okay, how can I help her like you said, I like how you said that uh, out of outside the edges. How did you say that? Take <laughs> the stuff away outside the edges,
0: take, yes, take away some of the responsibilities that don't fit the person's motivators start chipping away at the edges, chipping away at the edges.
3: It. Yeah, because you do. can do that. I mean, there is some leeway there. The job is the job, um, yeah. but that's that's awesome. So great, great uh, sharing and, and insight around self and other leaders. Sometimes I find, and tell me if you find this, do you, or you might have gotten better at explaining this than I, but sometimes I find people like They take the DISC assessment. They get it right away. They know what their style is, and the mm-hmm. motivators almost have to marinate a little bit. For folks, they understand them, but I don't know if they are um, because it's a little bit. It's so internal. Uh, Say something about that and what you've noticed about that. um, Because people are joyful around their DISC assessment and interested in their motivators assessment, and sometimes slow to fully implement it. I think it's for a lot of people. It's
1: new.
0: I I do agree. For a lot of people, it's new information. Yeah, Uh, the DISC is behaviors. You know. Yes is somebody's so doctoring person, or yes, they yeah. can see it, and, and they're familiar with it. It it makes sense. Um, when I train, well, whether I'm doing a keynote or a training or a coaching, in a way, it's all training. It's all about helping people be smarter in making their choices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I ask them as we we go over this kind of material to think of people they know who are like this. Ah, and and they always. Have examples. They think of their spouse or the kids or their aunts or their mother, or and that's the personal side. Once you get into an organization, a business, they start thinking about the boss and the coworkers and and uh, the person who works in the cafeteria, and they just start putting faces to it. So I found that to be the most helpful. It it takes it from being a concept to being real.
3: Real, yes.
0: Like, we, for example, we were talking about uh, the theoretical, which you are, and it's that love of learning. And uh, I was coaching a client, and I was explaining each of the six motivators. And uh, I was talking about theoretical, which, by the way, she was not. She was very low on that. But just so she would know, I was giving her some background, and she laughed. She said, love of learning, that's got to be my husband. I said, why? He reads a lot. She said, oh, no, he hardly ever reads. How do you know that he has this love of learning? She said, well, every night when he comes home from work, we have the same routine. He comes home. Uh, we have a little cocktail and we have some conversation. We roll into supper. And then right after supper, he gets up from the table and goes in front of the television and sits in his chair with his remote control and he watches television for the rest of the night. So I, I asked, so... Why is that theoretical? Where's the love of learning yeah. watching television? She said, well, there's only two channels he watches. Only two. Watches the same two. goes back and forth. Discovers yep. one. And, and history. History's the other. You got it. There oh, goes.
3: I guessed it. How did I know that?
1: Because
3: <laughs> I are one.
0: <laughs> she, and that's who those two channels sell to. They know yep. there's a market for people who want to learn. And it's yep. theoreticals that they're selling to. So she says he'll sit there all night and it doesn't really matter what the shows are about. It could be about how to pass bills in Congress. It could be insects in the Amazon. It could be space travel. She says he just sits there. He just watches and his brain, like a, a new sponge out of the package, just drinks it all in, drinks it in, yeah. drinks it in.
3: I always say that's like filling up your gas tank, you know, so when you're whatever you are, if you, when you're going to do it, just imagine you got a hose in there and you just filling yourself up. So that's what he's doing, you know, Love <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or if you get uh, upset, it's like, if you turn to something that is a match to your motivators, it will settle you down instantly.
0: Yes. You do find calm because you're in your realm. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's peaceful.
3: Yeah. And it's so, it's so, no wonder we love this and want the world to know about it (laughs) because
1: it's
0: so
3: empowering. It's so empowering.
0: Uh, You know what? I have to say something that's wonderful. I do business training. I know you do business training as well. So you and I focus on business people. But as soon as people learn these things about themselves, haven't you had the same experience? Oh, yeah. They want you to teach their spouse. They've got kids in college. My
3: husband take this.
0: (laughs) Yes, they have to take this. They have to know this, and it's very common. I'll work with someone older, and they'll say, "God, I wish I knew this when I was so much younger. Life would have been different. It would have been better."
3: It's like you need the language of the motivators, and there's also another piece in there. It has to be. There has to be somewhere in there, and I know you teach this, and I talk about a lot too. Is this uh, willingness to allow yourself to be happy yeah and sometimes people think if I'm very uh, unhappy or uh, stressed that means I'm, I'm important you know so it has to be because usually yeah. when you're doing your motivators you are more in the flow naturally and things are easier so you have to kind of uh, correlate happiness and uh, yeah. low stress is a good thing in life because that's I have where found you know, the
0: same I found the same thing.
3: Yeah, uh, the, yeah. The
0: people, the people that I test and find that they're in harmony. they who they are, on and off the stage, on and in and out of the office. They're the same people. There's no, uh, I'm going to be a different person as soon as I get out of the car and get into the business. They're yep. the same person. Uh, yep. I find those people are the happiest. They're the least stressed, and they accomplish. They get all kinds of things done because they're putting their energies into moving forward rather than putting their energies into pushing themselves up a hill they don't even want to be
3: on. Yep. And it's this idea of feeling on purpose too. So it's like when you're doing your motivators, you do feel on purpose. And it's easier, too, when you know them, don't you think that when you're looking at other people who are doing things very differently, it's like I've, I have such great appreciation now because I understand a language to not judge the differences, to, to kind of enjoy and love the differences. And I see and that on teams, too. It. Yeah. Yes. Embrace
0: and accept. Yeah. Uh, one one thing we do when I get hired into a company to do a team training is we we. We make certain everybody knows what everybody else's strengths are. Now, at the idea of that, some people cringe because they don't want to be discovered or found out. But they, I have never, never had a bad experience in a team learning what each other's strengths are. My, my experience is they embrace each other. Yeah, They know what Kathy's all about or Brian is good at yeah. or not good at. And and they embrace that. We're just human. Nobody's good at everything. And this idea of faking it till you make it, there's a place for that, I guess, when you're young, new, starting out in something. You're presenting an image because so much decision-making in in the beginning of careers is about image. But you get past that. You just get past it. And once you get past this fake it till you make it stuff and you just be your real self and express your strengths where you have them, and have other people do what they have to do in areas where you don't have strength. The whole team prospers. Um, yeah, it, it's just—it's a joy. It's just a joy.
3: And as you started today, you said when I started doing what comes naturally to me, my strengths, my high aesthetic, everything got easier. So you're you're living what you're teaching teams and other people to do. So that's awesome. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: Awesome. It is. is. It's awesome stuff. It's a well. You've
3: been say that again?
0: Well, I I was just thinking it's a neat way to help the world. When I came up with that goal of mine, five years of reach a million people, teach them how to discover and use their personal strengths, I realized that goal resonates for me personally because it's my way of using my personal strengths to go help other people and that just gives me great satisfaction.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So how close are we to the one million?
0: Oh, we got a ways to go. <laughs>
3: I bet there's a I, lot of people I, in there though, because you're speaking all over the country.
0: Oh, uh, I, I have a world. Probably. Well, I, I the goal was started last August, at which we're taping now six months later. I so I would say I've reached thirty to forty thousand people. So I've still got a ways to go. I That's think great. Podcast, let's let's use this podcast to go reach a hundred thousand people.
3: Oh, I love it. I love it. A big uh, goal. I would use the BHAG, you know, with a a big, hairy, nice goal. (laughs) It's a good one, and it's important. So, Doug, I want to, on the audio, I'll also put it in the show notes, uh, give people a way to reach you. What are your best uh, contact uh, numbers?
1: Uh,
0: Is it your uh,
3: website, email?
0: Yeah, Doug at StrengthsInternational.com.
3: And in your website, is is it Strengths with an S?
0: With an S, uh-huh.
3: Yes, StrengthsInternational.com. International. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, it has been awesome having you on this call today. I appreciate your passion for what you're doing and the difference that you're making in the world. And I love having you on to talk about motivators and help explain that a little bit more and how it's used. And the stories you shared were wonderful.
0: Well, thank you, Susie. It's a pleasure. Thanks for including me here.
3: We'll talk again.
0: Thank you.
2: Doug is a fun person to talk to, and I hope that you got something from our interview. I love what he said, the quote, there's no way people can excel if they're not meeting their motivational needs. There's no way people can excel if they are not meeting their motivational needs. So helping people Reach there and meet their motivational needs is crucial. If you remember from the strengths research from episode one, we talked about leaders who, who manage their team based on their strengths, which would include their motivators, because that's a strength. Leaders who lead based on strengths are 86 percent more successful than leaders who don't lead based on strength. So that quote just ties that all together. So if you want your team to succeed, if you want to exceed, we want to know what our motivators are and our team's motivators and our team members and help people work with those and use those on the job. So we've covered a lot today. We've covered how important motivators are to your own sense of well-being and we've quickly walked through the two steps in the more motivation method. I've uh, review the top six motivators. and future podcasts, we'll talk more about how you use this in hiring, and I'll give you some uh, interview questions that you can use. So we'll come back to that. It'll be future future episodes with more information. But today, at least you've gotten an introduction into workplace motivators and uh, a restatement of the strengths and how important they are. So as we close today, I want to... Um, list for you or share with you a quote from Robert Hartman. He is the creator of one of the assessments I use in the TriMetrics assessment. It's the Hartman profile. And uh, he posed these questions way back in 1960. And he shared that they were important for every leader to ask and answer about people on their team. And they're as true, true today as they were back then. And here's what he said. Are they going to be happy? Are they going to be productive? Will they want to stay? Will they own their job? Will they contribute their talent generously? That's what we're looking for as leaders, as trainers and consultants. We want to help people be happy in their job so that they can be productive, so that they want to stay, so they own their job, and they contribute their talent generously. So that's the momentum, that's the energy, that's what we want to create. And I, I sincerely believe that the focusing on strengths based on research and just intuition and observation is so powerful. And two tools that can help you do that is the um, DISC assessment and the workplace motivators. So you don't have to be a mind reader to figure this stuff out. You don't even have to use the assessments. You can create your own list of your top strengths and motivations, start using them every day, based on your own observations and paying attention to what you're compelled to do. And then as you feel this power for yourself, it's very easy to start looking for other people's strengths and start giving them the same gift of helping them leverage and use their strengths on the job. Remember, don't assume that anyone can excel in any job. And remember that people bring who they are to the job. And who they are is not only their background and experience, but it's their natural style, strengths, and motivators. Look for matches and strengths and motivators when hiring in addition to background experience. And there's more on this in future podcasts. In fact, the next podcast is going to be about um, some of the errors we make when hiring. But I also have a book, How to Hire Superior Performers. You'll see that on my homepage on my website um, that goes into more detail about that. But you want to look for the matches so that when you are hiring people, they are a fit and they get to use their strengths on the job. Make assignments when you can based on individual strengths and interests. And don't forget the ROI for this, the return on investment for you and your organization. Studies show, and I'll restate the statistic again because it's so astounding, uh, leaders who focus on the strengths and motivators of the people they lead are 86% more successful than leaders who don't. And teams who are set up to run based on their strengths and motivators have higher customer service scores and higher productivity scores. So you have special talents and gifts and strengths and motivators that matter. And so do the people who work for you and with you. Help everyone around you become more aware of their own gifts, hire and manage based upon them. And you're going to create a happy, motivated and very productive team of people who own their job and contribute their talents generously. So that's the end of our episode number two. More motivation. If you would like to stay in touch via Twitter, I'm at Wake Up Eager on Twitter. At Facebook, we have a Facebook page, Wake Up Eager. On LinkedIn, you can look me up at Susie Price, S U Z I E Price, and we can connect there. You can contact me via PricelessProfessional.com/susie, S U Z I E, and that's all lowercase. That's all my contact information. And you can find these show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash more motivation. So our next topic is, I mentioned just a little bit ago, the top three biggest interview mistakes people make. So we'll be looking at that part of leadership. Look forward to it. Glad you're here today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All the best.